You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Yes, we are live live. Uh, we're going to start doing more of these evening lives. Uh, usually my buddy Reinhold here and I chit-chatting. Harry may come along for some. We'll, we'll be at the, the Doolittle Studios this weekend with Harry, and uh, we'll talk to him. But, you know, it's hard, you know, Reinhold, you you love talking about this stuff, and uh, you're flexible, and I'm not. I'm I always ask for flexibility. That's one reason I wanted to stop doing all the lives because I felt bad going. All right, forty five more minutes, Reinhold. But you're very patient, <laughs> and I thank you for it. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so we're gonna do a little, a few more lives, and just do some reaction stuff, and talk about current events, and uh, get back to some of the panel stuff now that things are a little settled in the Spangle household. If you didn't listen to the about episode. You can hear more on that, but uh, things have kind of finally calmed down. So we'll still be doing interviews, still talk about big ideas, and uh, mix in some current events when there's hot news, hot breaking news, like right now. So if you don't know anything about Kevin McCarthy and why he got fired as the Speaker of the House, this is the podcast episode for you. I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to say Mike McCarthy. I don't mean to say Mike McCarthy. I did it every single mention during the Mike McCarthy, uh, the Kevin McCarthy episode. This is why I'm saying this now. Reinhold, you're on Mike McCarthy watch, who was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers for the four years that I paid attention to football. And in my head, for whatever reason, Kevin McCarthy is forever Mike McCarthy. And I, I did it the entire episode. You guys thought I was trolling. I'm not. It's just old age. I don't know, Reinhold, if you have these things. As I've gotten older, little sticky things like that that I just cannot... Like, I still, after three and a half months, keep calling my son Michael. His name is Matthew. But my dad's name is Michael. And what was I watching and listening to at the time that had a Michael in it? That is why Michael kept sticking in my head. I forget what the show was, but there was a show that I was watching. Michael Scott? No, it was so much sillier than that. But it was... They, the the lead character was Michael, and so I just Mike. I still call El, oh, I almost said her name. Still call Squish um, by my niece's name because the oldest niece. Happy birthday to my oldest niece. Um, she's forever like three and a half in my mind. So I'll be I'll be yelling. Ah, you come here. For me, it's not so much. Mis- misnaming people or, or saying the wrong name. It's just completely blanking on names. Oh, like really? I'll sit there and I, I, I can see the person in my face. I know exactly what I'm talking about, but the name, it just, it's blank. I, I, and I have to sit and struggle. So I have this thing. I don't know if you do it, but when we go out, I don't, I'm really bad with names, just like you. I, I will have seen somebody seven times not remember their name and it's to the point where it's too late to ask and so i will um just be rude and not introduce my wife knows look if i don't introduce you your job is to say hi i'm reagan what's your name because she knows i forgot their name that helps out a lot have somebody to have wingman as it were yeah, so, all right, let's... Uh, take fir- care of that for you, right? First, uh, sorry, I think you broke up. I didn't mean to... I heard... Well, the good thing is... Well, real quick, the good thing... Right. 
I heard half a second of pause. I, I think said, you're like delayed or something. The good thing is that you're something. probably not going to have to. Hold on. We got a problem here, Reinhold. Do you hear me? Okay. That seems like a long lag. Okay, let's see how long the lag is, all right? I'm going to count down three, two, and you say one. Ready? Three, two. One. All right, okay. So it's just a second. But in my radio brain, I heard half a second and thought I needed to start talking. So uh, so <laughs> stickiness in your brain. So what I was going to say is that the good news is that you probably won't have to remember Kevin McCarthy's name again <laughs> after this episode. I hope not. Good old uh, Kevin McCarthy. Apparently one of the great liars in the history of Congress, which is saying something. Before we start, I just want to say thank you to all of our patrons. It is the best way to support the show. If you get something out of the Chris Spangle Show, or if you're just watching on Facebook and you like what I post, and uh, you get value from it, the best way to provide value back is through Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com, or you can go to patreon.com slash Libertarians, and you can get uh, full access to the back feed early release i have like seven episodes that i have i have recorded that i have not yet edited and uploaded that won't be out for maybe months at this point for some of them you'll get to hear them now and you get to hear commercial free thank you so so much to our 100 a month members uh first and foremost reinhold thank you christy avery jason doolittle matthew durbin and vincent peichel uh, really appreciate if you could support the show. It would be very helpful. It is expensive to do the show, spend a lot of time on it, spend a lot of time and money on the network, and uh, appreciate if you could support us. So that's how you help independent media grow. All right, so let's start with the basics, Reinhold. You follow this stuff so much more closely than I do. So I'm going to ask you some normie questions, Okay. Uh, and just give me the basics of who these people are and what is going on. So let's just start with, I'm not going to ask like what the speaker of the house is. Okay. You should know that this is the person who is the head of Congress that kind of manages what comes to the floor and all that good stuff. And that, uh, they are elected by the house majority party, but they're different than the majority whip, which is a more partisan position. I'm assuming you all know all of those facts, but. Reinhold, who is Kevin McCarthy? Kevin McCarthy's uh, kind of a player who's been around D.C. for many, many years. He's probably the leading money raiser in the House. So he uh, he raises money not just for himself, but for everybody. It's kind of like um, on the other side, the uh, minority uh, leader over there, McConnell, he 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 makes a he he raises has fundraisers he makes a lot of money uh, i was listening to one guy who uh ran um for congress recently who said that he was he was running as a democrat and he got into this room where they were trying to pull him in uh to run against a republican they didn't like right so there were some money people there who were courting him when kevin mccarthy walked by saw a couple guys he knew as money makers money collectors whatever so he's come in sat down these lobbyists and just started having a talk brought in some more republicans and they're having a big old meeting now um not realizing that the person who was standing there was it was all for a democrat right and uh so they got into a whole big thing about that it's just that he's he's that guy who's always worried about getting the next buck getting the next uh election getting the next deal done um in in washington dc and he really 
I don't think really cares too much about what consistency his consistency wants. It's what the lobbyists want. He's, he's like the proto of that person. Yeah, he's been in the house for a while. If you go back and listen to our Kevin McCarthy episode, I had to think I'll put it in the show notes. But we do a whole deep dive on his background if you want to get into it. But he is apparently one of the world's best liars in Congress, which is a big reason why this happened is that people don't fundamentally trust him. Um, but he, you know, I have the book over here, Young Guns, Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, and Kevin McCarthy. They were part of that kind of Tea Party movement, just right, uh, you know, late 2000s. And this always happens, right? John Boehner came in as a maverick, young gun, super freedom, shooting, you know, riding eagles, firing fireworks, that sort of guy. And then he became the establishment. And then Paul Ryan became the establishment. Then Kevin McCarthy became the establishment. And I just can't wait for Jim Jordan to be the establishment and get kicked out in like three or four years when he inevitably becomes speaker. But uh, this is sort of a recurring theme over the last decade with Republicans is that they eventually turn on their leadership. No matter how much fealty they swear to all of the Freedom Caucus principles, they end up being a rhino and need to be kicked out. But... The the well, newest. There, there's a, go ahead. There's a, there's a few more things to that. The reason these people become that way is because this system is that way, and we talk, kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. But mm-hmm. um, the system's made to be that way, but it's mainly because they're not operating in a vacuum. They're not going in there and having complete control of what the government's doing and can impact can just put whatever they want in place. They've got to deal with the other side of the aisle. They've got to deal with the Senate. They got to deal with the whoever's the executive president at yeah. the time. So they have to be able to learn how to get what they want, but accept less than maybe what they really want and make deals to get that, you know, what can we give that we don't care as much about that? And people see that deal making and they think that they're turning their back on their principles and they're not really fighting for what they should be fighting for. And it's like, you have to make, you, you, you can't be all the way one way and just completely making deals all the time, but you have to have uh, the understanding of that's just the, the way it is. That's a really weird impulse that people have where like Congress can't just wave a magic wand and do what you want. So I, it's more prevalent on the right, but the left certainly has it too, where people on the extremes just think, well, you know, one one of the arguments was uh, I heard Ben Shapiro. We'll play a clip from him. You know, he's saying, "Look, like the the bill that Kevin McCarthy's House passed for immigration was stuff I really liked, but the Democrats control the Senate and Joe Biden's president, and so has everybody forgotten how forgotten how a bill works? You know, so just because Kevin McCarthy didn't manage to overnight change Washington, uh, you you can't so." You know, Kevin McCarthy is is kind of, you know, they all go to Washington and become swamp creatures. Uh, but the one true fighter in all of this is Matt Gates. Who is Matt Gates, Reinhold? And please try to check your progressive, hippie, liberal, libturd. Just be I'm, fair. I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to put <laughs> this in a way that we can air. Um, no, but Matt Gates is pretty much. Um, he's a, he's a firebrand. Let's put it that way. He's a firebrand who has ideas of what he wants and everybody else should go along with him. Yeah. Uh, he's from Florida, uh, Florida. 
and he I think he's going to try and run for governor of Florida. That is apparently the word. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, DeSantis isn't you know right wing enough for him. Um, well, I think he's he's probably term limited, isn't he? Uh probably. It's I, yeah. I I know he's pro- I know he's running for president, so you know that's probably part of the part of the play there. But um, it's. He doesn't really. So one of the things that I found interesting in this is that he admits that he doesn't have a plan for what happens after McCarthy is out. He doesn't care what the plan is. He doesn't care what happens after it, as long as he gets him out. And that's his goal. He he could get somebody else. Somebody else could get in there. It could be worse than McCarthy. Yeah. You know, the, there's there's people in there and there's people in Congress who are wanting to kick him out of the caucus because they're very upset with him right now. Because it's a real possibility. He's basically just setting fire to everything and not getting, you know, anything, you know, as opposed to getting 80% or 60% or 40% of what they want, they're getting zero right now. And they're yeah. being made to look kind of foolish. But but that's that's kind of what um Matt Gates is. He he's really and I think he's in my opinion, he's kind of in it for himself. He's in it for the glory, he's in it for his own. And he can say principles, his principles and what he thinks things should be. And he's going to push and fight everything he can do to get what he thinks is right done. And some people will applaud him for that. Yeah, I mean, Matt Gates is right about a lot of stuff because he's sort of a... Populists usually are right about a lot of stuff. Left or right populists, Right. That's why you like them is because they're just plain speaking, telling you the truth, kind of, uh, you know, right about the other side. And, you know, Matt Gates, I, I, I would everybody should watch The Swamp on HBO. I think that's what it's called, where Matt Gates and Ro Khanna and Thomas Massey are kind of featured in how Congress works now. Matt Gates ends up being a little bit likable. Um, and he's. He loves attention. <laughs> I think that's that's his main motivation. Uh, and he hates Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy was behind the ethics investigation into Matt Gates that revealed that he had basically been trafficking teenage girls. Uh, he's an now ethics, married. An ethics investigation is still going on. Yeah. And so... Which could come to play in all of this. Which sets us up for where we're at now. Uh, which, you know, back in, way back in, was it January? Was McCarthy elected? Yeah, I mean, way back in January, so, so long ago, January, um, Kevin McCarthy gets elected Speaker of the House after multiple ballots because Matt Gates and a few others were leading the charge to not have McCarthy be the Speaker. One, because they hate Kevin McCarthy, uh, because he lies to them. He lies to Congress. He lies to the White House. He lies to everybody. He's not trusted. He may raise a lot of money, but he's not a trusted figure in even his own caucus. But he he was kind of the best choice at that point. Steve Scalise is number two. He's um, he he was shot on a baseball field by a Democratic nut a few years ago and now is battling bone cancer. Uh, And then number three in kind of all this is Jim Jordan, a longtime irritant to people like Reinhold and Barack Obama and (laughs) uh, anyone who isn't in the Freedom Caucus 
uh, anyone who isn't just a like a Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin conservative, I guess you'd say. Uh, is that fair? Well, I mean, I think it's partly that. It's partly his background that he still won't fess up to. It's his hypocrisy yeah. that is the most blatant I've ever seen. And he has no problem lying, bald face lying to cameras and to people all the time, every day. Yeah. His, his background he, being that he covered up a sex scandal at a school where kids were getting molested, right? Yep. Yeah. So look into that. Um, but Jim Jordan's a player in all of this. So back in January, they made my they made Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House, and he had a four vote margin. And part of the deal to get the Speaker of the House was this insane agreement that any one single member of com- Congress could bring a motion to the floor to vacate the chair, to vacate the Speaker of the House, which means that if he displeased any congressman, or if any congressman woke up one morning and said, I want attention for myself, then I would kick them out. So Kevin McCarthy has spent the majority of his speakership trying to make Matt Gates happy. And so he... This is sort of the crazy part of this story, right? So they have, since then, a debt ceiling negotiation. They also have a shutdown bill negotiation, right? So to explain that, the debt ceiling is this limit of debt that the uh, government can bring on board, and they keep every year or two up upping this debt ceiling limit, and it's always a fight because <coughs> when are we going to stop raising the debt limit? Well, never. Until we run out of money and collapse. Uh, and then, you know, but now it's just like, just get rid of the debt ceiling limit. The fight doesn't mean anything like it did in 2010, 2012, whenever the first debt ceiling fight was. Uh, and so Kevin McCarthy makes a deal with the Democrats to pass some legislation there. Uh, then the government was facing a shutdown and he negotiated with Democrats to pass this law. Well, that made Matt Gates really mad. The problem is Matt Gates in both of those instances was whipping up Republicans not to vote for any compromises whereas Tommy Matt Thomas Massey the most libertarian of the congressmen in my opinion uh was going to vote for the shutdown bill because he said I think he was going to vote against the shutdown bill but he argued like look this is not including any Ukrainian funding and this is the only bill we can get through the Senate And if we don't pass this bill and let the Senate write the bill, then all of a sudden there's going to be all this uh, funding for Ukraine in it. So this is the best of the bad bills. And so why would we not support – you know, McCarthy did his job. McCarthy was supported by people like Massey, who is also on the Rules Committee. Massey is one of three people. One of the negotiation points in January was to keep – Someone on the Rules Committee, one of the most, if not the most powerful committees on in Congress, which decides what bills go to the floor. And part of the negotiations in January was to reform that by putting people of the Freedom Caucus on that committee. And he put three Republicans on there, including Thomas Massey. Massey went to the floor and said, uh, this guy has followed through on this. He followed through on immigration. Other people are saying he followed through on as many promises as he could possibly get through. And yet that still wasn't good enough for Matt Gates. So Matt Gates has accused him of working with the Democrats to pass the debt ceiling 
to remove him as Speaker of the House. Let's actually listen to what Matt Gates had to say so we can hear his own words. And uh, then Mr. We'll, Speaker, my friend from we'll break it down a little bit. This is Matt Gates from the first district of Florida, which is the Pensacola Fort Walton Beach area. From Oklahoma says that my colleagues and I who don't support Kevin McCarthy would plunge the house and the country into chaos. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Chaos is somebody who we cannot trust with their word. The one thing that the White House, House Democrats, and many of us on the conservative side of the Republican caucus would argue is that the thing we have in common, Kevin McCarthy said something to all of us at one point or another that he didn't really mean and never intended to live up to. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single-subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid-90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. And the way to liberate ourselves from that is a series of reforms to this body that I would hope would outlast Speaker McCarthy's time here, would outlast my time here, and would outlast either of our majorities. Reforms that I have heard some of the most conservative members of this body fight for, and some of the reforms that we've been battling for that I've even heard those in the Democrat caucus say would be worthy and helpful to the House, like open amendments, like understanding what the budget is. We have been out of compliance with budget laws for most of my life, most of many of your lives. And by the way, if we did those things, if we had single-subject bills, if we had an understanding on the top line, if we had open amendments, if we had trust and honesty and understanding, there would be times when my conservative colleagues and I would lose. Might be a few times when we'd win. There'd be times that we would form partnerships that might otherwise not be uh, really predictable in the American body politic, but the American people would see us legislating. These last few days, we've suspended the momentum that we had established the week earlier, where we were bringing bills to the floor, voting on them, staying late at night, working hard. That's what the American people expect. It's something Speaker McCarthy hasn't delivered, and that's why I've moved to vacate the chair. I reserve. Okay. Reinhold, was there anything in there that you disagreed with regarding uh, Beavis Rush Limbaugh there? Sorry, my dogs were having a little bit of a fight outside my door. Um, there's a few things there I do disagree with, but there's some things in there I agreed with, too. Um, the The idea that we haven't you know, operated in past budgets for a long time um, is true, and it comes from the original Tea Party movement that started that whole process, right? So that's just something that's been kind of the norm now for the past two de- uh, decade and a half, two decades, I guess. Um, and that, sh- that should stop. There's a lot of things that should stop. We should be bringing bills to the floor and letting people debate on them instead of trying to get them all worked in the background and come together, come up to the the front with a you know 700 page bill and say, okay, we got to pass it in five minutes. You know, we'll find out what's in it. And so when you pass it, that sort of thing uh, that Pelosi did um, with the, uh, uh, Obamacare. Um, So that sort of thing should stop. And I think everybody kind of agrees that it should stop, but you have to, you have to do it in the right way. You can't just um, expect the, the, the whole 
thing to change when you still have to make deals. You still have to kind of work things out. And I there's, think there's not enough trust to negotiate out of that. Right. Right. And I always I thought it was funny that he said that he couldn't trust Kevin McCarthy, but he wants to put Donald Trump in as speaker. It, like, uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Don't let me forget that part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he was called an agent of chaos, which is just totally true. He is the agent of chaos. Right. Well, see, the thing is, too, is that, okay, he's trying to say that um, McCarthy is more chaos than shutting down the government, which is just wrong. I mean, the whole idea of going through the through the process of shutting the government down sounds like a great idea to a lot of populists, to a lot of libertarians. But the reality is, if you do that, it ends up costing more and it ends up making people want more government. And it doesn't actually reform anything. Yeah, you know, then you got 45 days now or you then you have to make a deal and you end up no having no leverage at that point uh, to get anything done. And he's talking about how we were we were spent last week putting all these bills out. Yeah, you you had seven months to get those bills out that they were due the budget that they were supposed to put in play, put out there was due back in, I think, March or April or something like that. Right. Yeah. They, were, they were complaining that that Biden's budget was late. And Biden's like, you don't even have one yet. And you're <laughs> supposed to have one before I do. Yeah, you know, a, b- a big piece of this that we should t- tell people, because a big point of contention for a lot of Republicans is the way that the government is funded. They want to return rightly to something that is called regular order. So the 12 committees meet, have they put together their budgets they have an amendment pro- process in the committees for putting things in. They then vote on their bill and then bring that bill to Congress that is then amended and then voted on and then sent to the Senate and then sent to the White House for signing. That's how it is supposed to work. The way that it has worked since 1996 is these large omnibus bills where it is a one single spending bill not written i maybe it's written in a committee but it's really written last minute passed haphazardly nobody knows what's in it congressmen shove all kinds of wasteful spending in it you know we got rid of earmarks which would have been a great check and balance on the power of one nutty congressman uh I, i'm i'm for bringing earmarks back long live ron paul he was right um but you know, earmarks used to give some leverage to the majority leaders because if you wanted that spending thing, then, hey, you need to vote this way or don't do that or you'll never get spending projects in your area. Well, once we got rid of earmarks and that control, now it just slipped into even worse omnibus spending, which makes no sense, right? Like, at least there was the check and balance of the speaker allowing what came to the floor or not. So, um, so they're all trying to get back to regular order rightly. And that's what Matt Gates is talking about in terms of the budget since he was a kid, not working right. All that stuff is totally dead on. And there's so much in Matt Gates' speech that I, I mean, there's not much I disagree with in what he said. Kevin McCarthy is part of the problem. The way that we fund the government is part of the problem. Uh, you know, working with the Democrats, that's not part of the problem, which is a big part of why Matt Gates says he's doing this. He's it's the duopoly just negotiating uh, without us, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the dude just had to have the help of the Democrats to toss this guy out. So his logic doesn't make a lot of sense, which uh, we'll let. Was, yeah, go ahead. 
Oh, that was that was the one thing he was he was saying that if if McCarthy makes a deal with the Democrats to keep him in power, then that's going to tell you everything you need to know about McCarthy. He's working he'll work with the Democrats. I'm like, you needed every Democrat <laughs> to vote for your ouster of him in order to make this work. You and was it eight people? Yeah. Eight Republicans. You know, eight Republicans. You know, because they relied upon the full Democrat House. And the reason that the Democrats didn't save McCarthy is mainly because McCarthy put his foot in his mouth. And after yeah. they saved the, the 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 government from shutting down by voting on that continuing resolution, McCarthy the next day goes on talk shows and say it was all the Democrats' fault. Yeah, so l- let me kind of walk through this timeline because you raise a really good point. Because McCarthy isn't innocent in his own firing. He's an idiot, too. So you may have seen that, you know... Uh, I saw DC Drano over on Instagram, the big thinker that he is, uh, complaining about why was Nancy Pelosi allowed to have a, an office in the Speaker's office, which is not the case. So it was widely reported that Nancy Pelosi got kicked out of her hideaway office. Steny Hoyer, too. Um, Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi were the leadership team. Normally, when a Speaker of the House is retiring or kicked out, they retire from Congress completely. So Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer keep running. They've kind of broken that tradition. Uh, And so they were granted hideaway offices, which is given to high-level, long-serving reps and senators. They're like these little cute offices. Let me show you a a studio. It's not their official office, but it's a place where they can kind of go and they can just get away from their staffs and meet people privately and just kind of think. So this was Robert Byrd's. Hideaway office, they're usually very pretty. Um, So, you know, everybody's just outraged that Nancy Pelosi lost this. But, so there's a reason, right? So the tit-for-tat of this is that Kevin McCarthy needs to fund the government. Because it is fundamentally bad for there to be a shutdown. Because who gets blamed in the press? It's always the Republicans. And the Democrats know this. So this was a rare case where the Democrats actually worked with a Republican to avert, avert a shutdown. Because normally what they do is they let the shutdown happen and then let the Republicans take all the bad press. So the Democrats played ball and voted unanimously for the continuing resolution. And then there were enough Republicans to get it passed, which got sent on. Go ahead. Did I get something wrong? There was one Democrat that voted against it. Okay. All right. Um, and so... So they played ball with him. And then he goes on Meet the Press this past weekend and says, you know, that the Democrats are just against good governance and it was the Republicans that got this passed. And he threw them under the bus. And Ilan Omar was like, screw that guy. <laughs> like Eric Swalwell said, who who does this guy think he is? So uh, Matt Gates put his finger in the wind and said, hmm. Maybe the Democrats are all mad enough that they might not vote for him. But Kevin McCarthy never thought that that would be the case. Why? Because he had a conversation with Nancy Pelosi, and uh, let he, he outlined that. So let me play that for you now. This is uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy right after he got kicked out of office. Interesting. It was in this room, after we had won the majority, I had become Speaker less, and Nancy Pelosi came to me. She was speaker at the time on the way out. And I told her I was having issues with getting enough votes. And she said, what's the problem? I said, they want this one 
one person can really out. She was the only speaker to have changed that rule. I had the power to call the vote on her, but I never would. I lost some votes because of it. Um, and she said, just give it to him. I'll always back you up. I made the same offer to Boehner and same thing to uh, Paul, because I believe in the institution. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. And I think, I think the things they have done in the past hurt the institution. And they just started removing people from committee. And they just started doing the other things. And I, my fear is the institution fell today. Because you can't do the job if eight people, you have 94% of, or 96% of your entire conference, but eight people can partner with the whole other side. How do you govern? And for them to make a motion on me because I made a decision for the country that they agreed with, but they choose to do the other, that becomes a problem. All right, there's a whole lot of logical inconsistencies there. Um, first, the Democrats are mad at you because you threw them under the bus instead of taking the chance to be conciliatory. Uh, you're, you're conflating the eight Republicans that voted against you who are mad for all their own reasons, and not all the eight were the ones that voted against him for Speaker. Uh, some of the people that voted against him for Speaker voted for him this time in October. Um, you know, the House has fallen, the institution has fallen because because he said Nancy Pelosi removed the power for a single person to remove them. You chose not to do it, even though you had the power, but then you said she made the same offer to your two predecessors, which that doesn't make any sense. Um, but there's bad blood because he thought that Nancy Pelosi, who was at the funeral of Diane Feinstein and not even there, uh, was going to save your butt, which, why would Kevin McCarthy trust... Nancy Pelosi, Reinhold. I'm I'm not sure. Plus the fact that <laughs> she's not the minority leader, right? I mean, that's Hakeem Jeffries. Exactly right. That's another. Thank I, you. I don't understand. <laughs> so, so the pro te the temporary House Speaker of the House, uh, this guy that looks like who is the Illinois Senator forever that always wore the bow tie. Uh, oh man, I have to look it up. But Ryan, something Ryan. He, he kind of has that. He's like short with a little bow tie and he immediately removed right her hideaway office. But yeah. Oh, did you see when he, uh, when they called the, the vote complete and he gaveled, he <laughs> gaveled, he slammed that thing down. He was mad. <laughs> Big uh, mad. <laughs> yeah. He's, Oh, Paul Simon is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. yeah. If you look up Paul Simon, you'd remember him. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was really ticked. I think they all I think they all thought that Matt Gates would do it but I think that they didn't think it would work. So I wonder how well, surprised and, they are. And the thing is is that Matt was going to call it right after the continuing resolution passed. He tried to get the attention of the um of Warmack at the time who was who was presiding. He was trying to get his attention to say he had the intent to to remove um McCarthy then and he adjourned instead. He he adjourned it before he could get up and get his attention. So did him coming back on Monday and doing it, he had planned to do it on, on Saturday when, when all that went down. So um, I don't think anything that he did helped anything <laughs> McCarthy said afterwards, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's the thing. And, and the irritating, the funny thing too, is that if, if he really wanted to keep his position, he could have made a deal with the Democrats 
to get a couple people to to vote present or to not be there to make the numbers work out. And all you yeah. have to do is change change some of the the committees so that you know they're not getting you know like maybe the inquiry into the Biden. Maybe we could do something there. You know, do something uh, with Gates. Maybe get him kicked out of everything. You know, there, there's something that he could have given them that would have got, enticed them to keep him, but he didn't want to do that. I think he was, yeah. I think he's to the point where he was just like, I'm tired of this. <laughs> if you want to do it, do it. Now, by all accounts, I heard he loved being speaker. He enjoyed the abuse. He seems like watching all that stuff during the speaker of the house votes and everything. He enjoys the fight. He enjoy. I I'm not that kind of person. I would be worn out by constantly being criticized, but this guy seemed to have loved the job and, was the happier warrior, happy warriors? He kept calling himself. I don't know. I, there was a there's a lot of reporting from behind the scenes of some uh, some great language that was happening between <laughs> the uh, the members. And it, it's funny because the Democrats were sitting there the whole time, just kind of watching this implode. These guys are in charge; they can do whatever they want to do. You know, they they can't really stop them, and they're stopping themselves. They're falling all over themselves. They're fighting amongst each other, and it reminded me. Of uh, you know years ago when it was the Democrats who were doing all that stuff they yeah. were in charge but they were fighting with themselves you know and the Bernie Bros were all in there and they were trying to yeah they were ripping themselves apart and this is just that again playing itself out they get a little bit of power and they think that they can this is their time to get all the stuff that they want and everybody's fighting for and jockeying for their things right so um that there I mean think about this though when do you remember when it was AOC and Elon and, and, and the squad and the, uh, squad yeah. were the crazy and everybody was like, Oh, I can't believe they're pushing this and they're doing this and they're being cra-. And now they're looking over at the freedom caucus going. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they're part of the establishment. <laughs> yeah. No, that was the big, like Nancy Pelosi had the ability to basically strip them of their power where the rules package that gets negotiated before the speaker comes in. Nancy Pelosi always had a tremendous amount of power, which is why she was able to get a lot of stuff done. She had ways to punish people within the Democratic caucus. The Republicans have lost all of that and have negotiated all of that away, which is why Kevin McCarthy never stood a chance. Like, if you go in and negotiate a package where you are fundamentally playing from behind and begging for your survival, you're never going to get anything done, you know? Um, But I guess that, like, that's the... I, I guess we should play the Ben Shapiro clip now because I think he makes a lot of good points like th- this is maybe maybe before we do that like this is the problem with institutions is if you are an anti-government person or a limited government person or a person that wants as little government as possible it is very difficult to be in an institution like this because you are working with people who don't have the same agreements because you're negotiating to different points and you're going to have to give up things and they're going to have to give up things and an institution is not progressive. A populist is almost always progressive, either to the right or to the left, but they want things to change. And an institution fundamentally does not want to change. So, you know, I think that's why you're going to always see chaos on the right side of the aisle and the left side of the aisle, because there's always going to be a group of people who want to push things. But the job of an institution and the way that this entire body was designed in the founding was the house was supposed to be chaotic. The house was supposed to be like this. And the Senate was supposed to be a blocker. It was supposed to be the cooler. It was supposed to slow things down. Because the Senate 
has a lot more power in approving things than the house does. The house generates a lot more ideas because it was supposed to be reflect the passions of the people and the swings of their moods. And the Senate, which was appointed by state general assemblies, the senators were picked by the parties, essentially, was landed gentry. It was supposed to be, we're going to conserve the natural order and make sure that things don't get too progressive, one way or the other, too authoritarian, too socialistic. Um, Obviously, a lot of that changed when we started directly electing senators, and uh, now the public has control of both houses, and for good or bad, I think bad, I think there should be... Uh, more checks and balances. I'm guessing, Reinhold, you disagree, but there's always, you know, that's this is the nature of the body. Matt Gates is just part of the system. He's not, he is a problem for them, but he is part of the system and how it was designed. No, I, I agree completely. There should be more checks and balances. That's why that Project 2025 thing just scares the bejesus out of me that it might actually happen. So, um, yeah, the that's and the thing about the Senate too is that this the way the Senate rules are written. Each individual senator has a ton of power. You know, it's not like the House where you have to kind of group with a bunch of people in order to get anything done uh, and push. Each individual senator is really very strong in in the Senate. So that it, the whole dynamic of it is completely different the way that way it's run, right? And the filibuster and everything else that kind of helps kind of keep things calm. You know, so that the crazy swings of the you know, the, the crazy people on the left, the crazy people on the right who try to get there and try to either push society forward too far. Or they're trying to push it back too far. Or they're trying to make too many changes. Somebody's there to say, look, you know, we don't we don't want this right. We want to let's take it easy. Let's try a little bit out. Let's see how this goes and puts things in, in a way because really, at the end of the day, people don't want chaos. People don't want to have to worry about getting up the next the day the next day and going to work and having a job or being able to buy food or people doing all wanted the things to defund, to people wanted to fund the police until we defund the police. And then they go, where's the police. <laughs> <laughs> right. Until they need the police. Right. Yeah. yeah. Until, um, so it's, it's, ahead. it's, uh, it, it's just the, the nature of it. Right. And, and I think, um, I think there are changes that need to be made in the house. Definitely. But there, there are things that, we have to understand that just because you change the house doesn't mean you're going to get all these things that you want. And, and I, I can get into a whole conversation later about populism, but it's, it's, Go. that's kind of what the house is that the Senate's there for. Right. Well, yeah. I think populism is basically just pure democracy, right? We, we talk yeah. about how we don't like pure democracy. It's basically what it is, is the exact opposite of libertarianism in my opinion, because it's, it doesn't respect the individual rights. It's whatever the, the largest group of people want. It's might makes right, you know? Um, so it, and it always kind of, there was a great, I know, I know there's a men in black movie, right? And he, he, he mentions in there that people are smart or per, a person is smart. People are dumb, scared, panicky people. Yeah. And that's what you get with populism. You get the, you get the group mentality, the scared, panicky people who just push and go, without thinking about, you know, the rationality of what they're saying or doing. And that's where you get into a lot of problems because there are people with charismatic people who can take that energy and focus it into a very bad place. Speaking of charismatic people, Ben Shapiro. Pushing things to a bad place. Oh, oh no. I thought you are going to the, the orange. No, button. no, no. Well, yeah, he's, he's a whole, 
<laughs> different subject. No, Ben Shapiro's, um, I want to think his heart's in the right place, but then he, I, I, the people he employs think, are really horrible. So, yeah, I, I think Ben has, um, a lot of, a lot of intent, a lot of good intent, but I think he gets drawn and sucked up into things that drag him way off where he should be and what he wants. And I think that there's some, I don't think he's thought through on a lot of his, on, on some of his things that cause him to become very um, hypocritical and led astray of where he probably should be. I think he thinks through everything. I think he just makes business decisions. I think he's, I think if you're in politics and you're a principled person, you and you're part of a group, you always have to bend to the group at some point. And, you know, if you're, if you're in Congress and you're Thomas Massey, you at some point have to go, Rand Paul makes this calculation all the time. Why would you ever endorse Roy Moore? Uh, basically a child molester for Senate. But he makes the calculation that, look, I may not like Roy Moore or Donald Trump or their policies, but I've got to go along to get along. And if I'm going to be a little bit extra on some of these issues like national security uh, compared to where the caucus is at. Now, fortunately for Rand Paul, a lot of Republicans have moved towards him on things like vaccines or well, I wouldn't say vaccines. Fauci is probably more fair to way to put it. And foreign policy, right? So he ended up kind of winning the argument thanks to Donald Trump um, in some ways. But at the time, you know, 2017, that wasn't the case, right? So there, there's a fair amount of calculation. That's what Ron Paul always got a lot of earmarks for his district and built a lot of projects. He was like a top earmark guy getting all those projects federally funded for his district because he knew he was going to say no on a lot of stuff. And so he had to have a justification for him being in that seat. And as long as people saw a new bridge, then, you know, and the local contractors who donate to campaigns don't want to fund a challenger because they're working on a new road project. Well, then it works out. Right. So you have to give some, some, uh, Give. You have to negotiate. There is no way to exist in society at all without negotiation. And I know there's guys out there, Reinhold, who think, I'm just going to go to a reformed church with 14 people and tell my wife what to read, and we're going to homeschool our kids, and we're not going to interact with the outside world and end up almost Amish, Amish while she wears a head covering. And anybody that negotiates with the, the literal terrorist, Nancy Pelosi, is a bad person, but that's just not, that's not sustainable. Donald Trump is not sustainable. Matt Gates is not sustainable. You, you have to work with people. You have to cooperate with people. You have to be principled. You have to understand your principles, but there, there is a point in time where everybody has to go. What's the trade-off here, right? What's the incentive here? And Massey, Ben Shapiro, you, me, you know, everybody, Everybody can't be Donald Trump and have no point of negotiation. Just I'm the alpha and I'm going to do what I want. Well, there's limits to that. And he, and he made deals all the time too. He'd go, he'd go and change his mind and yeah. screw over all the people who supported him and somehow convince them that it was a good thing. He's not a criminal, even though he's been in 4,000 court cases up to now, literally 4,000 cases. He's an honest broker, but he's been sued 4,000 times. <laughs> okay. Um, but Ben Shapiro, you know, look, 
Reinhold, I jokingly call a progressive and a libturd, uh, but and you know I'm a centrist at heart, center right, uh, and so you're not going to trust us if you're this far into the episode and you're you're a rock rib conservative. But maybe you'll trust Ben Shapiro, who on matters of criticizing his party has always been very consistent. So whenever this happens, I like to tune in to hear Ben Shapiro because I think he's very fair. And I think he's very honest when it comes to criticizing his own side. He's very critical of Donald Trump. The Daily Wire is largely um, anti-Trump at this point, which will completely change when he gets elected again. And yes, I said when. Um, but I I think Ben Shapiro is uh, straightforward. I don't not saying I agree with him, but here is his opinion on all of the craziness going on in the House. So what if I told you that the GOP had pretty much every systemic advantage going into 2024? They had a deeply unpopular president of the United States with approval ratings in the high 30s, low 40s. A president of the United States with approval ratings on the economy in the 30s or 20s. What if I told you that the GOP had an economic edge on the issues that is their biggest since 1991? Well, what if I told you that going into the election, there was a very solid shot that Joe Biden's economic policies were going to drive America directly into a recession? Well, all of those things are true. All of those things are true. And yet somehow Republicans have come up with a brand new strategy. This strategy is to join in. I like when I play a clip and you clearly don't disagree and you put your head down and scratch. (laughs) It always makes me laugh. (laughs) Oh, I just there's this things he says that these are true these are true and i'm like mm, they're not exactly true but okay uh, they, they like, seem mostly true to me but go ahead all right i know but we have we, we're gonna we're gonna be in a recession how long we've we been hearing that four years uh yeah three years no no for yeah. sure i mean no i mean his his uh uh so i listened to october 4th and october 5th and i highly recommend listening to them because there's a lot of great points that he makes about all this stuff i agree with and don't disagree with but i was listening to uh today's episode on the fifth and he talks about Disney and he funded a Rasmussen survey about Disney. And it showed that basically 60% of Republicans hate Disney now and 60% of Democrats love it. And, you know, well, let's think about the incentives here as he's going to talk about Ben Shapiro runs a media company that I think is hooked into Tuttle twins. Somehow that may or may not be true. I should probably shouldn't say that. Um, but it's the daily wire provides content for kids and that is part of their business model. And a big growth strategy for them is being a provider of entertainment for kids. So they paid for a survey to see if people like Disney or not. And then he had all these points that if you don't like think critically about it, sound really true. Like, uh, Disney is number one in terms of some LGBT promotion by the, I think it was glad maybe is, is that the, yeah, the gay and lesbian Alliance. Yeah. And Disney doesn't just make kids cartoons. He never says that, but that's Disney is a major entertainment organization that makes a wide variety of movies has ABC has as, uh, ESPN as part of their portfolio. There's, there's a lot of content coming out of Disney. It's not just kids movies on Disney plus, um, you know, and the reality of it is, you know what we watch in our house on Disney plus all the old stuff I liked. Right. And we don't watch a lot of the new stuff, right? We watch bluey. Bluey is fantastic. 
Um, so, you know, you got to think critically about it, right? Because here's a guy who is basically saying Disney's bad. Don't watch Disney. It's pro LGBT. It's going to turn your kids gay if they see an episode of Pocahontas or whatever. But he never tells you that he runs a kids network, right? And so it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's all the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Only trust me. And I just really don't like that kind of broadcasting. Well, also, too, I and we kind of listened to a little bit of this clip before, so I might be getting ahead of this, but he's going to make the point, right, where we have all of these advantages coming in here and the Republicans are just somehow completely messing it up. And what he doesn't realize is that they spent years, you know, fighting. Not They're not talking about economics at all. They've been fighting a culture war for years because they want to get that part of the things pushed through. So because of that, and they're getting going to get pushed back on that. They're going to get advancements on that. And that, but that's the war they've been fighting. So now they come around and say, Oh, the economy. And it's just like, nah, you know, nobody's yeah. wanting to listen to it because it's not, it's not what they've been talking about forever. Plus the fact that a lot of the stuff that they complain about came from Donald Trump that were that, you know, the higher inflation, Trump spent how much money in, in debt. I mean, you lose your great, you lose your um, high ground on economics and yeah. debt reduction when you're supporting Donald Trump after he did what he did. You yeah. know what I'm saying? No, no, no. To be fair to Ben Shapiro, he never did. He was always very critical of Donald Trump and not being consistent with what they talked about for a long time. So I'll, right. I'll uh, you but know, Republicans Shap- he's talking about, right? He's yeah. talking about how the Republicans doing this. They're shooting themselves no foot. That's right. why. Because they never focused on the things that they were good at. But he makes a point that I made forever. It's like how many, uh, uh, Dick Buckus died. That's sad. Uh, He was 80 years old. Rest in peace to Dick. Um, How many, Christine O'Donnell's, Sharon Angle, you know, Atkins in Missouri, Richard Mordock, like how many Senate seats have Republicans lost? The two in Georgia after uh, January 6th, like, because Donald Trump was mad at them. The Democrats, the Democrats. I saw a list where I guess there was like 27 yeah. Special elections and the Democrats over they they didn't win all of them, but they they um, overperformed on all but two mm. where it was like a t- 20 point swings and what they had gotten two years before. Right. Or the last yeah. time there was election. Yeah. The reality is that the Republicans have blown a lot of stuff, which so he continues to make that point. Idiocracy movie from the 2000s. Join in the idiocracy show, Al My Balls. This is their actual strategy, is just to kick themselves over and over in the balls until they win. I I cannot see any other strategy here. I I don't know why it's happening. It makes no sense to me. It is incredibly frustrating because I would like to see Joe Biden not be president of the United States. I'd like to see Democrats not make policy for the United States. I'd like Chuck Schumer not to be the Senate Majority Leader. And yet since Republican victory in 2016, Republicans have lost something like 11 governorships. Republicans have lost something like 20 plus House seats. Republicans have moved from a majority to a minority in the Senate, all in the face of wildly unpopular Democrat policies. The Democratic Party has moved to the radical left. They continue to mirror all the policies of the radical left. The American people don't like them on any of the issues. And yet Democrats keep getting elected. And so the question becomes, why? Why would that be? Well, maybe the reason for that is because Republicans are strategically inept. Maybe it is because Republicans have essentially decided that protest votes are more important than actual votes. Maybe they've decided that dousing themselves in gasoline and setting a match 
is is probably the best strategy. I don't know what strategy for other than maybe feeling good for a brief moment in time, because if we show frustration to our leadership class, then for sure we'll get a new leadership class. And then somebody else enters. We're like, wait, hold on. The incentive structure is exactly the same. And Thomas. So he's going to go on to talk about Thomas Sowell and incentives, which is incredibly important for every listener to learn. But let's pause there because he makes later in the episode a really good point that I am completely blanking on right now. Uh, but yeah, maybe I should just let it. I've completely forgotten the point, Reinhold. <laughs> you just made or one coming up? The, the, the one that he just made, it's, oh, that to lose is now to win in the Republican Party. And that is something that I've heard over and over. And, well, and I agree with this, that failure is yeah. now a victory. Like if I lose the a- election, I win. We have a great lesson being played out off the main thoroughfare of news and politics. And that's when you have a group of people who are trying to do politically motivated things and you amp them up through fear and anger and emotional stuff, populist stuff, where you you get them riled up and you get them mad and we're going to do this. We're going to take over and we're going to be in charge and we're going to make things happen. When you actually get there, you can't maintain that. You can't right. sustain that. Things start to fall apart. You start to have to try and actually govern. And then you realize that those bomb throwers and those those people throwing those emotional um, attacks at everything aren't helping you. They're not getting anything done. They're making your life worse. And then you start to see all the people who you did attack on your way in are now just not going to work with you. So now you're left with nothing. So it's like you almost want to continue to be that bomb thrower on the side that it, that uh, itch that, you know, that drives people crazy um, because that's kind of how you get your thing going. But if the minute you get put in charge, you're going to realize that that's not how things work and you're going to resent the people who are doing it to you. Right. Yeah. And eventually, if you knife yourself, your, your side enough times, your side dies. And then you see, if you look at the Libertarian Party and watch their numbers and watch what's happening, it's exactly what we predicted was going to happen. And it's what the Republicans are doing now. Um, they're they're just trying to govern by emotive rhetoric and getting people amped up, which you cannot sustain. People yeah. get tired of it. Yeah. All right. So back to our boy, Ben Shapiro here. He's your boy, not my boy. Soul says very frequently with regard to politics that people's big mistake when it comes to politics is believing that the problem with the politicians is the politicians rather than the incentive structure that creates the politicians. And that is exactly correct. Republicans have now replaced in the last few years, Paul Ryan is Speaker of the House, John Boehner is Speaker of the House, and now Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House. What has changed? Seriously, what has changed? What what magical new things have happened from the replacement of any of these people as Speaker of the House? Now, I was not a Boehner fan. I didn't want Boehner to be Speaker of the House. I thought he was far too conciliatory toward Barack Obama. I thought Paul Ryan was fine. I thought Kevin McCarthy was fine. But apparently, we tend to be operating under the wild delusion that if we simply replace one speaker with another speaker and leave the incentive structure exactly the same, then everything will be you know better. Things will change. That is not how any of this works. The incentive structure right now in the House of Representatives, just to take the latest example, because yesterday Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker of the House for no reason I can discern by eight Republicans who joined with all Democrats to oust McCarthy, which means that 96% of the Republican caucus voted in favor of Kevin McCarthy and McCarthy is no longer the Speaker because of eight 
House Republicans who decided that McCarthy had to go for a reason that no one can actually discern or specify. The incentive structure right now, unfortunately, for a huge number of people is get famous, run for a higher office, win or lose, it doesn't really matter, clean up, pick up some checks, start a PAC, start a nonprofit, move into a different area of your career. This is a different incentive structure. I, I mean, I think that he's pretty dead on there. Yeah, I agree with him on that one. That's uh, uh, that's what they're doing. He's, he, like I said, Gates is going to try and run for governor. He's going to uh, hold that. If he gets it, he holds that job for in a term or two. And then he's off, you know, doing what Biden did after VP. That's where he makes his money. He makes his money, yeah. uh, you know, going on the circuit and sell, and speeches and running packs. Yep. By taking checks from the Chinese, you know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, think about this guy. Um, so Matt Wayne Mueller, or I forget what this guy's name is. His last name is Mueller. He is the senator from Oklahoma. I did not know he existed until this, but uh, Raju Manu on CNN went up to him and said, you know, what do you think about Matt Gates?" And this went fairly viral. Uh, and this guy doubled down afterward. He was on, I think, Fox News or somewhere and said, yeah, I don't take any of it back. It was all true. And they're like, well, it's a news, you know, we haven't verified. He goes, I said it. It's true. Pretty good clip uh, that I didn't pull, but yeah, uh, look up Mueller if you want to learn a little bit more about him. But you know, he he's he's the leading voice, and let's kick this guy out. You got to think about this guy. Um, this is a guy that didn't have that the media didn't give a time of day to after he was accused of sleeping with an underage girl. And there's a reason why no one in the conference came and defended him. Because we had all seen the videos he was showing on the House floor that all of us had walked away of the girls that he had slept with. He'd brag about how he would uh, crush ED medicine and, and, and chase it with, um, with an energy drink so he could go all night. This is obviously before he got married. And so when that accusation came out, no one defended him, and then no one on the media would give him a time of the day. All of a sudden, he found fame because he opposed the Speaker of the House. So basically, he's James Neese. Well, and that's t- I said something the other day too. I said, um, "Is I thought there would be a deal where the Democrats would side with with um, McCarthy, and and this was this was kind of what my my you know throw it against the wall and we'll see if it stick kind of idea. They make a deal with McCarthy that the investigation of Gates finishes up and he gets pushed out of the out of the uh, house because of ethics violations." That's what I thought kind of was going to be the end result of this, because I thought that McCarthy was going to be laying it down and swinging big. But I don't he didn't do it. He didn't pull the trigger on that. But I think that could have been the way it goes. And there's a lot of people. There's other people I've seen interviewed, too, who just said that he should be gone. He should be out of the conference. He should be out of the house. I've seen him say, well, I wouldn't do this to the other speakers. I just personally we all hate McCarthy because he lies. And we just there we was, need somebody there was one guy. There was one guy who said that we needed to have the week break because <laughs> if not, there would have been punches thrown on the floor. I think we're getting to that point. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to the editor's podcast uh, from National Review yesterday, and it was a pretty decent list. I didn't finish it, but the, you know they get to the point where they're talking about if Donald Trump loses this time again, and what they predicted would happen. And it was pretty dark. Uh, and these people are not, they're all very well-informed and not crazy and, you know, not wishing this to happen. But, you know, 
uh, you know, January 6th at state capitals and the whole system starts to unravel. It really kind of, I was like, man, those 2016 episodes where I had just read Mike Duncan's book about the fall of Rome and saying, look, we can't elect Donald Trump. He is the Gracchi brothers. You, you erode the norms to the point that things go crazy. I think, you know, we're getting to that point where Donald Trump will, I don't think Donald Trump can win. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm not ruling him out. I just think well, I, he's lost all I these. I think 2016 clear. was a fluke, and he's lost every other election. So yeah. I don't. 2016. 2016 was he was running against the worst person to run against, and it wasn't <laughs> even just that. And I think there was enough people who voted for Trump just because they did not want Clinton, Bush, or Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet. And they I bet just that's said true. no. Yeah. And, and he's and, funny. Uh, Trump was funny in 2016. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's still I mean, hilarious. He, he, he didn't win. I mean, yeah, he didn't win the, the primaries because of that. He, he won the general, right? So the primaries he won because he was just tearing everybody else a new one, and they didn't know how to respond to him, right? And he got people going. He got people amped up. He got people excited. So he, he won the nomination, and then I think he beat the only person that the Democrats could have put up that would have lost to him, right? And he barely squeaked that one out. I mean, barely, like the yeah. f- a few thousand votes, right, uh, in certain key areas. So I didn't think there was any chance in win um, 2020. And, you know, I, we did our thing and we called that. Um, my concern about 2024 is that me might win. I don't know. I'd, I'm looking at the numbers and uh, nine months ago, I would have said there's no way. But I don't know what's going on. I mean, yeah, he's he's making people think that he's on, he's being attacked and witch hunted and all this other stuff, but it's, can he sustain that to the whole next year after all of these things start coming down and the trial stuff starts coming out? And what if he gets seeing, locked up? What? I mean, they, yeah. they thought about that. And I was like, what if he gets, know. what's he go to, what if he goes to jail and he's sentenced to 20 years in prison or whatever? I don't know what he tra- could face, but let's say he gets sentenced to 10 years in prison. And the president is in jail. First of all, I'm voting for him for that reason alone, because I think that'd be awesome. But I, does the Secret Service bunk with him? Do the aides all, like, is it fancy house arrest in the White House? Like, crazy. And and, and my concern is, I mean, I, we're sitting and actually talking about this as a possibility. How far have we come as a country? That we're allowing all of this to happen. That we're not. Somebody's not saying is no. Stop. He's right? going. He's. I don't. I. So I can see a situation in the primaries where they get. They get to, right now. He's you know fifty points ahead or whatever, some crazy number. Where they get to the primaries and uh, Carl Rove had an interesting podcast with Dan Senor on his podcast, uh, and he was basically saying if you look at the numbers when people are exposed to the other candidates. Trump's numbers drop dramatically and everybody else's number rise. And if you look at Iowa and you look at New Hampshire, Trump is not doing as well there. It's just that the only thing that people are seeing is Trump's grievances and they feel sorry for him. And it's all a witch hunt. And it's, you know, like, uh, so I I could see a situation where he does poor in Iowa and New Hampshire than expected. And then maybe, you know, but I, I think that's probably just wishful thinking. Well, here, here's the other point, too, is if you look at it, he says he's got like 45 to 50 percent of the Republican vote. Right. 
and everybody else is in the teens. Well, what happens if there's just one other person and not 12 other people running against him? And that vote isn't split. All those people saying, I'm not voting for Trump. I'm voting for anybody else. Now that number starts to rise. That If that's one person, he gets 20, 30%. He starts closing that number in. And then he does what you do. He goes into the, the Iowa. He goes into New Hampshire. And it's not as as good. His numbers drop a little. That could flip. Yeah. He, this isn't a lock for him to win that Republican primary, no matter how much it looks like he is. And he's hilariously going out and saying that he... He doesn't need to campaign much because he's got it all wrapped up. He doesn't need to go to the debates because it's all wrapped up. But um, it's inter- election interference because he can't be out there campaigning right now because he's under all these investigations, uh, these trials. And it's like you can't have it both ways. I mean, yeah. I can because he gets away with it, right? You make but one joke. I think sometimes, some point it's going to come up, catch up with the people. This man, this man ruined I'd like his- to think that people. I'd like to people think we're fine with to do it. This man ruined his whole life over what? one joke by Barack Obama. Which joke was that one? <laughs> he was making jokes at the gridiron dinner. It pissed Trump off, so he ran for office. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now his life is over. Uh, okay, so uh, who's the next Speaker of the House? Last question. Um, I think that the logical person would be Scalise, but I don't know if that happens. He's apparently not. I mean, he's been making. He's known this is coming. So Scalise, the entire year, has basically been going around and lining up support, undermining McCarthy. But yeah. well, I remember at, when when McCarthy had that first uh, the election, they were asking Scalise if he was going to jump in. He said, "No, I'm not doing it. I'm yeah. second. This is you know, I'm, this is the deal." So once he's gone, then I think yeah, he's he's able to step right in and take it, but. I, mean, I don't think there's any way Jim Jordan gets McCar- McCarthy's <laughs> making phone calls for him. I don't I don't see Jim Jordan getting anything. Just because just of, I did. too many of the centrist right people hate him. Well, yeah, he's he's too much he's he's not a likable person. I mean, and that's kind of part of the deal, right? I mean, you can't be that much of a just like Comer, I mean, I, I watched I watched the committee hearings with Comer, and the guy is just unlikable. He's a <laughs> dirtbag. He, he, he comes across dumb. as he comes across as a <laughs> I got you now. I'm telling the teacher type of guy. Hey, Jim, yeah, but Jim Jordan, but he he'll say something, and somebody will say, "No, you're wrong," and here are all the facts, and he'll go, "Shut up and go away," and he'll just ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen. And it's like you can't run a committees like that. You can't. I mean. You can be a firebrand on the side and throw lobs or bombs, but when you're running the committee, you can't be like that. And Comer and Jordan both do that stuff to where the committee is useless at this point. You cannot have a deliberative process in those committees with so them in charge of it. Make the whole house useless. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, that would make the whole house. <laughs> you convinced me. I'm pro Jordan now. <laughs> That's what it would be. It would be, it would be, you think, you think it's bad now with McCarthy. I, I think once Jordan, if Jordan were to get in there as speaker, it would just be, you wouldn't get anything done. You I wouldn't wanted- have, you would, it would be shut down. The government shut it down for months. Uh, it would be not. I, I want it to be as bad as possible because it makes us money here and we get attention. But yeah. the fact is, it's <laughs> like the economy it, it, depends it, yeah. on, the economy depends on a stable government. The more predictable the government is, the better the economy does. The better a business runs. It's we're you know we're all in this together, Reinhold. 
Right. And the thing is, too, is if, if this stuff keeps going off the rails like this, the public is going to see the Democrats all standing there saying good. Hakeem Jeffries gave a speech the other day uh, during this whole thing, and it was during the continuing resolution. Right. And it was great. He did a great speech. He's a firebrand. He's, he's, he's got the charisma. And it was right. Exactly. What I think a lot of people would love to hear. Um, and they're not infighting. They're not causing any problems. Yeah. They're not in the news. They're trying to help out whenever they can. They're trying to make deals. They're trying to reach across and say, hey, let's get something done here. And the Republicans refuse to do it. They want to go their own way. They, they're failing. They're infighting. If they get the government shut down, the people are seeing that. And how can you say we want the, these guys to run the, the executive branch when they can't even run the House? Yeah. No, you know? I so, all right. Uh, I don't know who's going to win. I don't know at all. But uh, thanks for thanks for joining me, Reinhold. Oh, we forgot to talk about something. What? Trump is speaker. <laughs> I don't think it's possible, right? It? It'd be well, awesome. I think I think there's a there's a people out there who say that you don't have to be a member of the house to be the speaker of the house. I don't know if that's ever really been tested or proven sure. or. Um, it, it's probably not really something that could happen. There's probably some reason why it wouldn't work, but there are people trying to put the, that name out there. And I just think that's please also, <laughs> please, please just stop talking about Justin Amash as speaker. He kept floating this idea to promote himself. Matt Walt Matt Welch wrote an article in reason about it. Uh, he, he put out a statement today saying he would not be running for president of the LP. Well, no shit because you haven't done anything else. Excuse my language that he hasn't done anything to build a caucus he basically came out and said you know the party's just a mess and there won't be ballot access and it's too hard to run a presidential campaign and it's like you've had chances at three particular points in time that i know because i know people where you could have stepped in and been a catalyst for people like me and reinhold and others to rally around and you chose not to do it now, if the reason you chose not to do that is because you need to feed your family and you need to work and you're tired of politics and you want to get grill-pilled, I get that and I understand it. I get why Dave Smith isn't running for president. Why would anybody want to run for president as the Libertarian Party nominee and make their life miserable, ruin their marriage, get fired from their job? It's just it's a thankless, worthless position. <laughs> like, you get to be like Gary Johnson, where your whole Twitter is just ruined, even though you got the most... Every, oh, what a horrible campaign that was. We only got ballot access for eight more states than normal because we raised more money and got more votes than any campaign ever. Oh, what a terrible campaign. Let us show you how it's done, and meanwhile, you'll be on ballots in, like, 40 states because you're all ridiculous. But Justin Amash had a point to be the had the opportunity to be the counterbalance to the Mises caucus, and he never stood up to do it. On this particular program, I had very high placed good friends of his that reached out to him and said, this guy's not crazy. His audience is your coalition. You should come on the show. And he said, uh, I, you know, the Twitter DMs, he said, yeah, absolutely. I'll come on. Ghosted me, never replied to the email. But he'll go on Michael Malice, and he'll be friends with Dave Smith, and he'll suck up to all the people who are, he perceives as popular. I'm not bitter. It's not bitter grapes. I'm disappointed because there's nobody in politics that I agree with more than Justin Amash. There's nobody that I think has more potential than Justin Amash. 
And it is deeply disappointing to see him not want to build a campaign, not want to build an organization, not want to build the party. Like going and speaking at conventions is not the same thing as actually building a delegates list and building organizations in county parties. And if you want to run for president as the Libertarian Party person, you have to do that. You can't just show up once that's all built and go, well, now I'm here to be the hero. Thanks for doing all the hard work. I'm going to take all the credit, which is exactly how that that tweet today was translating to everybody, Justin. If you look at my criticism of you on my Twitter, it is all prags. It's not Mises people. It's not radicals in the party. It's not people that don't know anything about libertarian stuff. It is the people that would naturally support you on your run. You've spoiled the opportunity. It's deeply disappointing to me. And to think that this guy could go in and manage a dysfunctional two parties uh, when he has not been able to do the easiest thing possible, which is go, hi, I'm here. How can I help? Let's all get on the same email list and everybody run to him. He couldn't get that done. He doesn't have the organizational ability, even if he has the smarts to do it. So I'm just tired of hearing about him. I think he's a good, he is like me. He is a person on Twitter that is, you can read and maybe sometimes has some insight, but is not going to do dick to grow the Libertarian Party. (laughs) Like, we're the same, Justin. So I, I think it's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing I was saying is that he wants somebody else to do all that work. And he had the perfect opportunity. He had the clout. He could have come in and done it. He could have made the LP less dysfunctional. But now people say, well, we hope the, less, the LP gets less dysfunctional so he can come in and then run. I mean, that's that's completely missing the whole point. You know, if if you have these complaints about the, the party and you have the power to do something about it and you choose not to. Reinhold doesn't have the power. Reinhold doesn't have the ability. I don't have the ability. If I could announce that I'm running for president tomorrow and be a catalyst for people to rally around me, I'd do it. I'd I'd help. But I don't have that ability. I've been trying 2017 to stave all of this. What's going on right now? I predicted it all. I tried to stave it all off. I tried to get people's awareness raised. I tried to fight it. And at some point, you just say, it's the way it is. Yeah. So no no one's Speaker of the House. Let's just stop that trope. It's silly. Uh, and inadvertently raise the idea and awareness for people to start thinking Donald Trump should be the the Speaker of the House. So let's put that on him, too. Um, all right. That is enough of this. I'm going to hear about that one, but it needs to be said. And people people apparently agree with me that I would think wouldn't agree with me and would be critical of me for being critical, but maybe it'll change the mind, so... Uh, and, and motivate some people to do something. So, all right. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, yes, the bourgeois are asking. People want him as Speaker of the House. Justin wants himself as Speaker of the House. And then people who run Facebook groups for him on his behalf want him. Nobody else thinks he should or could do the job. So, all right. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Chris Spangle show. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your time. And if you learned something, please share it. That is the best way to help. Uh, uh, the best way is probably Patreon, but uh, please come and join us. I'm guessing Michael my, my must be a Mises guy or something. No. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again here soon on the Chris Spangle show.